Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. There is no denying the enormous influence that African-American musicians have had in this country's music at all levels. However, black musicians are conspicuous by their absence from the world of classical music, at least big parts of it. Less than 2% of American symphonic orchestra musicians are African-American. Terrence Patterson is trying to change that. He's the founder and artistic director of Ritz Chamber Players, a Florida-based all-African-American ensemble formed in 2002. Its mission is to change the way American audiences view minorities in classical music. He joins me in studio, as do musicians, harpist Ann Hobson Pilot, a member of the Ritz, and is the first African-American principal player in a U.S. symphony orchestra. The first. She played in the Boston Symphony for 40 years. Flutist Amara McGill is a leading soloist and has appeared with major American symphony orchestras. Thank you all so much for being with us. It's great to see you. Great to be here. Thank you. We're looking forward to what's going to be happening later this week. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Terrence, let me start with you. Why this gap that I just mentioned? What what is going on to cause this? I think it's um, um, basically cultural. I think that um, um, our communities have not been uh, exposed as as much as uh, we would like. You know, when you think of being a classical musician, it starts so early and the fundamentals are so... um, it's uh, important where, when you start and um, and how you progress. So I think that the exposure um, is really important at this yeah. stage. But but music and the African American community are, are almost synonymous when one looks at the history right. of, of this country. You, you would think that there would be a, a greater participation. Definitely. I mean, we are we're, you know excel in a lot of parts of it, and just, and uh, and of course you know, we're talking to to music that also excel in classical music. So it's just another genre that we're trying to, you know, be a part of, I think. But, uh, yeah, we're right. We are, I think we excel in it generally and uh, just looking to expand it all. And let me turn to you because you've been at this for a while. Quite a while. How, <laughs> tell me something about how it got started for you. And, and I'm sure you were sort of lonely uh, there from time to time when you were playing, weren't you? I was, really. Um, I graduated from the Cleveland Institute of Music in 1966 and immediately was hired by the Washington National Symphony as as the first harpist. And I was the only African-American in the orchestra the entire, well, the three years that I was there. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was my first professional job, and that was when I was the first principal player in 1966. How, how many African Americans were there with you at that time? Well, in, in, in Washington, there, there, there were none. Mm-hmm. I was the only one. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 1969, Arthur Fiedler came to guest conduct, and he called me into his room and said he liked my playing and wanted me to audition for Boston. Um, I, it, I would have been principal player in the Boston Pops and second in the BSO. So I did go to Boston to audition, and I won the job. Um, so I became the assistant principal first, pr- principal player in 1969, and then was moved up to principal harp with the BSO in 1980. Again, all during that time, I was the only African American until maybe in the 90s when Owen Young joined as a cellist. And then there were two of us. And then when I retired in 2009, Owen is still the only African-American player in the BSO. What, what about your life and about your growing up and about your early days 
put you in the position to be where you were for all those years? Well, my mother was a concert pianist, uh-huh. and uh, so I heard music in the home, classical music in the home, uh-huh. from the time I was born. And uh, I played piano from the time I was six years old and studied with her some. But I didn't like the piano that much and didn't practice very much. So she stopped my lessons at one point, and I went to the school. I went to a very um, good school in Philly that had every orchestral instrument available. And the music teacher at the schools uh, said, why, why don't you take up the harp? It's very similar in reading, treble and bass clef. So that's how I got started, and I loved the harp from the first day. And the harp is just as easy as the piano to take from place to place, right? Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Terrence, that, uh, Anne, really makes your point, doesn't she, about right. early exposure, and that's what right. uh, one of the key differences would be. I think so. Um, a, a, a early education, and, and I mean, a lot of, I think most of some of our musicians did um, get exposed to the public school, but yeah, some some did come through great parents like Anne's. Demore, yeah. what's what's your story in in this context? Well, um, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, and um, uh, my parents are very creative people, uh, and they exposed me and my brother, who now is the principal clarinetist of the New York Philharmonic. Um, exposed both of us to a wide, wide variety of genres mm-hmm. um, of visual art, uh, dance, and um, oh, once again, I, it's just a question of 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 exposure. and And I was fortunate enough to be exposed at an early at an early age. Do you see this changing? This demographic changing in the classical music world at all? Um, well, I see it changing slowly, slowly, but I would say um, slowly, but but surely. Um, I notice when I uh, when I travel to different schools, different conservatories of music, that I see do see more people of color studying, and that is the precursor to actually seeing, I believe, more people that look like me in in professional environments and even the fact that um, um, uh, you can just um, just imagine and I've seen I've seen this already um, I know that when I'm on stage if there is a young boy a young girl that is um, that that looks like me that happens to maybe want to play the flute and they see me um, um, it's it's a reason for them to to be even more inspired to take it up uh, yes. because I'm familiar to them. Now, Terrence, what, what sort of changes have you seen as a result of what you've been doing for the last 15, 16 years with Ritz? Um, just like Navari said, you know, um, we are quite uh, conscious that when when we see young people, uh, they are hopefully inspired. I know, I mean, generally, I felt inspired sometimes with the ensemble visiting my school and going to see the orchestra. Um, uh, well, it, so, uh, I'll tell you a quick story that just happened for us. We were, we were in uh, Birmingham a few years ago, <clears throat> and we were doing a master class with the uh, uh, students, and this beautiful girl came on, African-American senior, and she was just playing beautifully, and we just, our, our violinist at the time, uh, Kelly, just fell in love with her and we just spent all this time with her. 
and we were just talking with her about her growth and where she wanted to do and what have you. And at that point, she was like, I think I want, she, she, she had all the tools, but she didn't have the confidence that she could really, like, you know, go to the next level, to the, you know, uh, the schools that she was thinking about weren't, you know, any major conservatories or anything. But uh, I, I, last week, I was in Detroit playing in a professional setting, and from that point, she had grown, and she was in the orchestra with us. And I was I was taking photos with her because I was just proud of that moment because at that moment when we met her, she continued to have Skype conversations and lessons with with members of the of the Ritz Chamber players and staying in contact to help her, you know, gain the confidence, continue to uh, grow. And uh, so I was really excited to see that, that parallel of, of, of starting, and now she has grown to where she's in a professional setting. So I think it is changing. Um, like Damari said, we are seeing more young people uh, being identified and um, seeing the possibilities. But Anne, they're still not winding up in symphonic orchestras. 1.8%, I think, of the membership nationwide right. is, uh, is African-American. Exactly. But one does get the impression that smaller ensembles, such as the Ritz, for instance, is attracting more. Is that, am I correct in that assessment? That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, and one of the problems is, I mean, as I said, I joined my first orchestra in 1966, the Washington National, and that was a result of the previous harpist having injured her hand and was not able to play. And so they, hmm. I was highly rec- recommended and I was brought in to fill her, her uh, chair for initially one year. And then they liked my playing, so they signed me for a full-time contract. And at, when I left in 69 and auditioned for Boston, it was behind a screen. And the screen had just been used it uh but before it was a system of the conductor might ask his friends from europe oh i've got an opening for flute come take the job you know uh and so eventually it became the players in the orchestra became aware that it needed to be a more fair system of getting players in order to to diversify so So it's an anonymous audition you do not see the performer exactly and it's uh the committee is is made up of members of the, 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 the orchestra. And that is what is going on until this day. And I think it is very difficult for anyone to get a job, no matter what color you are. Um, and, and part of it also is, let's say if you're a string player, if you're behind a screen and you're playing a very valuable in- instrument, you can hear that from behind the screen. And if you have an instrument that is not quite as good, you start off, um, you know, not, not in a, a fair sense anyway. So Demar- there's, there's a lot that goes into it. Damari, does that work for you, that system? Um, you mean having the screen yeah. Yeah. up? I think it, 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 I think it does. I mean, it has, um, over the years, it's been important, um, even though we, we're not seeing so many numbers, but it's been important definitely for for women, um, for sure, Mm -hmm. over the years. And I I think it's a very important component. Is there a gap, a a gender gap? 
Hardly anymore. That's yeah. what I was going to say. I'm, no. I'm not aware of seeing it around here. I That's think it. really, but thanks the, to European. I mean, like Vienna and Berlin for a long time, right? Right, but they they don't use a screen or anything. Right. When I joined the BSO in '69, I was the fourth woman hired. Now, I mean, I've lost count. There may be 40 women in the BSO now. So you had two strikes against you, as it were. As I, <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you must be pretty good at it. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you are. That's, that's, that's the word that's being passed around there. anyway, that's for sure. Um, let's listen to a little of, of your music, if we may. We'll give uh, folks a taste of what they're going to be uh, hearing later this week. Do you want to pick out something for us, uh, Terrence, that we can hear that... Uh, that is kind of representative of what you do. Well, um, since we, Anne, we're talking just as I'm talking with Anne. Why don't we um, play her doing the Southall's fantasy? If you would talk, like talk more about this fantastic work which she's been doing with um, Kyle Lombard, who is um, here in uh, uh, St. Louis and um, teaches at uh, at the university. Um, fantastic violinist, um, and uh, I'll let Anne set up the piece itself. It's a wonderful work that really uh, showcases the harp. I mean, it's actually, I think of it more as a, a bi- violin solo with harp accompaniment, mm-hmm. but it has all of the wonderful French flair that uh, French composers are known with the gl- glissandos, and um, it's just a, a beautiful work, and uh, uh, the recording that you have, I performed it with Ty Murray, and Kyle and I will be playing it on Friday. Okay. Well, let's have a listen to that. Uh, Unfortunately, we won't be able to hear all of it, but it will certainly give us a taste of what to expect on Friday. Great. Such a pretty instrument. Gorgeous. Such a, it's lovely. Yeah, it, it really Especially is. Especially the way she plays it. Huh? Yeah, that's, that's for sure. I wish we could hear it all. But again, uh, this is going to happen on Friday night. You're performing that as well. That's going to be at 730 at the 560 Music Center. What are your audiences like, Terrence? What, what sort of a racial composition do you normally attract? Well, um, we do. We've been attracting probably um, uh, 30, 30% of uh, 
black audience, uh, which which is of course our mission to do of, of bringing our community into the hall. Um, so we we have worked hard on that. So we 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 try to um, get with our. Uh, or organizations like the Lynx, uh, 100 Black Men. So they are aware of us because they also have programs in the community and, and, we, and, and expand beyond that where a lot of their programs, where they have educational, for children, educational programs for children themselves, they would also help bring other kids. So, um, uh, so we are building, of course we would like to get even more than 30%, but um, I think it's a start for us certainly. One of the things you're doing, as I understand it, is that you you charge no admission to to, to get people into the hall. Right. We um, we don't want any barriers to keep you from coming in and enjoying the, this this fantastic art form. I enjoy it so much. I think everybody should be able to uh, to be a part of it. Well, here's a, an over the top suggestion. Okay. Why don't you start a symphony orchestra? Oh yes! All right, you got your checkbook. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it would be the great. In the mail, I'd be so, something. Um, actually, um, there are organizations that are attempting to do that. Um, of course, I mean it's, it's quite quite the effort. Um, um, I would say that I was in Detroit, the Sphinx Symphony Orchestra, which it's it's. I mean, it plays for the competition. I, I don't know if you know. It's a, it's a a competition for Black and Latino string players that's doing a fantastic job of identifying these young players, of course, and they bring in um, uh, uh, professionals, uh, Black professionals and Latinos to make up an orchestra. Um, another colleague of ours, um, Amadi Hummings, is working on the Harlem Symphony Orchestra. It's been, he's been at that effort as well. So I think, it's, I think people, I think they heard you. So yeah, so it, it, I mean, there's some effort. Um, I, I, I mean, right now for our organization, we are going through some planning and you know, maybe that's the next, maybe a uh, next phase uh, for us to, to think about down the line as we're planning out some things for our future. Uh, it, seem, it just seems to me, uh, some of the outside looking into the kind of work that you do, that it would be a wonderful uh, way to really a- attract a lot of attention, attract a lot of musicians, and do what you're doing on a somewhat larger scale. Yeah, that's true. And I, and I, and I failed to mention also um, the fantastic Gateways Music Festival that is um, at, um, housed at uh, um, Eastman School, School of Music. Um, it's, it's, it's every two years we get together, but that orchestra is, uh, is um, all black. And um, they're, they're, they may be expanding to maybe yearly, uh, th- that organization. So, and maybe from the yearly, we become quarterly. Maybe we become monthly. Maybe it'll just grow. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think there are some things in the works where people are are combining resources together with all of our organizations to uh, yeah. get to that point. That, that is really good to hear, Damari. Let me turn back to you as time begins to wind down. What, what advice do you have to young black musicians to? to advance uh, you know, to where you are or to try to? Well, um, w- one really important thing to do is um, w- um, if you're fortunate enough to be exposed to something that you love, um, to really work harder than everyone at it, you know, um, literally everyone, not just everyone in your, your community, but um, I think it, it 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 pays to to try to try to really be the best and 
in this day and age, it's not d- that difficult to actually um, ascertain like the, the international level. Just go online, go on YouTube. If you want to study the oboe, you can listen to oboes from all over the world, and it's never you're never too young to to begin. Um, your effort in being better than that great oboist that you're listening to online, that right there will um, will at least allow you to begin to be as the best that you could possibly be. There, there's the exposure part of what we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier. And what advice do you have? Well, if um, obviously practice, of course, yes, and and what to. Damari said is, you know, makes a lot of sense. When I was com- coming along, there there was no YouTube or anything like that. So it's wonderful to have the, the opportunity to use those tools that are now uh, available to, to people and to kids. Yeah. Well, one final uh, thought uh, from you, if you would, Terrence. Uh, get, tell us in 30 seconds about your program on Friday. Um, it's going to be a fantastic program. Um, it's very... and, and um, um, a lot of fantastic music, like you're just going to hear the Mozart Flute Quartet with Damari, um, the sound song that you just heard, some parts of that. And and um, we're doing uh, works by a, a, one of our black composers in residence we had at the Rich Chamber Players. His name was Corey Taylor Perkinson. And it was actually the last work he was writing, a full work for the Chamber Players. And um, he unfortunately passed before doing it, but he he finished an incredible, beautiful fragment that I, uh, of a work that I think people are going to just enjoy tremendously. If I might just say, because time's getting away, that's at okay. the 7.30 Friday at the 560 Music Center. Right. Terrence Patterson, Damari McGill, and uh, Anne Hudson Pilot, thank you so much. Thank I'm you. sure you have a wonderful performance on Friday night. Thank you for we'll being with there. us. We'll see you there. Thank you. Hope we get some young African-American people interested in music through all of this and, and your classical music. Thank you. Archive versions of past St. Louis on the Air programs available for download or podcast at stlpublicradio.org slash stlonair. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Don Marsh. <laughs>